Hey everyone, before we get started, we'd like to thank Janet S. in Massachusetts, who is our first ever listener to make a recurring donation. Her note said, your interviews are informative and inspiring, and she also said she's looking forward to reading If I Betray These Words. Thank you, Janet, for helping us do this work. Hi, I'm Wendy Dean. And I'm Simon Talbot. And this is Moral Matters. Now for something completely different. Today, <laughs> sorry. No, do it. <laughs> Is that okay? Yes. Today, um, we have decided to do a bit of a different episode. We normally sit down with guests from all walks of life, uh, particularly those in healthcare, and talk to them about how moral injury and how the various aspects of healthcare that they work in are changing and adapting and, and affecting us all and our healthcare system. But today, we uh, are shaking it up a little bit because Wendy and I have recently published a book, If I Betray These Words, Moral Injury in Medicine and Why It's So Hard for Clinicians to Put Patients First. This came out uh, very, very recently, and we want to run through with you some of the background to that book and some of the things that are in that book and hopefully excite you enough that you may uh, be interested in reading it. Yeah, so this was, this was an interesting project. One of the best stories about how this book came into being was that Sam Shem of the House of God was the one who really put the bug in our bonnet. Mm -hmm. And it was what, three years ago? I think so. Four. Yeah, maybe four years ago because it was, it was definitely four. before COVID. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was May of 2019. And we had dinner with him and he said, you really, you should write a book. And I, I remember I just laughed. And I said, no, really probably shouldn't. <laughs> but he was persistent. And I think he probably emailed you more than he emailed me, but he still emailed me several times over the next couple of months and encouraged us mm -hmm. to go through the process of finding a publisher and writing the book. And that process is not as simple as people probably think that it is. That process of pitching something to various different publishers and having publishers recognize that this is something that others are interested in and that actually has a viable audience um, can be challenging, right, Wendy? Oh, for sure. <laughs> so I, I didn't realize naively, right? It's, we don't know anything about publishing. And so we naively thought that, of course, everybody would see that it was a great idea. Mm -hmm. But in fact, that's only a small part of it. The other part of it is, can you write in long form? Mm -hmm. Can you tell a story? And can you market this book? Mm -hmm. Because even a big publishing house only has a limited marketing budget. Right. You know, one of the things that I thought was really an eye-opener to me is that it's not just about telling a story. It's about telling a story that is able to be understood by a reasonable number of people and is in a format and a form that is digestible. And so, uh, you know, let me give a, a, put it in a different way. You and I have spent an awful lot of time speaking to healthcare professionals and lecturing and writing scientific style papers 
about moral injury, but it's very different telling people who are coming into their doctor's office and have never heard of this concept, have not experienced it in the world of healthcare, or have not been aware of experiencing it, and trying to write a book that is accessible to people who aren't thinking scientifically about this is is not totally, uh, it was not an easy process, put it that way. Yeah, so what I realized very quickly was that we had to take a step back. You know, I had to take a step back even further because what I quickly recognized is that outside of healthcare and even outside of being a physician, even the people who work adjacent to physicians every day, the CEOs in the hospital, and even some of the, the other healthcare clinicians don't really understand what physicians go through in their training. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first step is to help people come into that world and really get an idea of why does this become a part of our identity? Right? How does our training inculcate that so deeply? So then why do we feel so strongly about being allowed to practice as we were taught to do? That's a really important point. The time I realized it was a few years ago when somebody was interviewing you and me for a fairly high profile article. And this person very legitimately and very honestly said to me, so why do you care whether your patients get a good or a bad outcome? Why don't you just come to work and do your job and, you know, treat it like a production line? And I had never realized that someone might think that way. And uh, I think that was sort of one of the realizations, the first time for me, at least, that I realized that explaining how important taking care of people is and how deeply ingrained that um, necessity is for exceptional care and outcomes if possible. But then the next part of the challenge, understanding where to start the story, Mm -hmm. was the first sort of part of the problem. But then thinking about how do you tell the story? How do you tell this big, complex story of what healthcare is and why it's so painful? for so many clinicians. And in part, that was how to choose the stories of those clinicians that were struggling. Yeah. And and that's not to say there aren't many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other clinicians that have stories that parallel these ones. But in 286 pages, I think, how do you encapture that most effectively and, and how to capture that in a way that displays the issues of moral injury most clearly, most concretely, most palpably, and frankly, most emotionally. Learning how to find the story first and then learning how to tell it. And then once, once you have an idea of what the story might be, finding the people who are willing to talk. That was so hard. It was so hard. Now, those people who have read it know that Wendy does a lot more writing on this than I do for by, by, by a long stretch. So, Wendy, I actually have more of a question for you directly, which is, obviously, there was a lot of personal growth that was involved for you in both the technical side of writing, but also going through the process of 
interviewing people and putting their stories down. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, I, and first of all, I, I have to thank the developmental editor, Rebecca, Rebecca Ratting, who walked with me literally every step of the way and, and kind of shepherded my, I mean, <laughs> she was like my attending, <laughs> my writing mm-hmm, attending. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and fairly, you were closer to an intern back in the 1980s, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so it was, it was a really hard process. First of all, just learning how, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, so I know how to talk to people. I know how to be curious. I know how to ask those questions. But understanding how to... Understanding the process of getting a story from people, building building a different level of trust, because not only am I trying to be true to their story, I'm also in some cases trying to protect them or their families or whomever else. And so trying to juggle those things. And, and in some cases, the characters would say, yeah, I'm an open book. But my wife wants no part of this. Now, my wife went through medical school with me, but she wants no part of it. Or my husband cannot be in this book. And so, you know, how do you tell a story around those big holes and still have it be compelling for someone? That also tells a story on its own, right? That people have stories, but they're not 100% comfortable with identifying with those stories. And they're risky. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's just plain risky to tell your story when your hospital isn't always friendly. Well, I think one of the things that you know people will notice when they're reading this is how much research went on in the background to reference some of the things that are in there. You know, there's a lot of information out there and uh, there's a lot of detail. And I think that certainly helps solidify what's in there. But yeah, granted, it's not, uh, it's not always a comfortable place for people to be speaking. Yeah. And, and I wanted people to know, I wanted readers to know not just what's happening, but why. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, how did we build this house so we know how to renovate it? Mm-hmm. Right. That's an amazingly hard thing to find, too. <laughs> Even if you lived through it, it can still be hard to figure out exactly what the uh, motivations were and what the various different uh, incentives were for various things that have gone on. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) in all honesty, I read way more SEC filings than I ever want to admit to and more 990 reports and uh, just... Much more financial literature than I ever imagined I would in my life. Yeah. To really dig into what were the relationships that were happening between these hospitals and these healthcare systems. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's quite amazing the rabbit holes that you can go down uh, as you start getting deeper and deeper into the stuff, right? Right. Right. Tell me a little bit about how your family reacted to all of this. <laughs> Only if you can, because <laughs> like some people, your family happened to be in the book and I think consented to it. They did. Um, so I have the most supportive family and I disappeared 
I mean, I effectively, I didn't actually disappear, of course, but this thing consumed me. It was, I worked on this 12 hours a day, almost every day for 18 months. It's a lot of work. And I was still running moral injury of healthcare at the same time. So I had probably two full-time jobs. And my, my family, they did whatever they needed to do. My husband started doing all the cooking. I, I mean, I think this was self-defense, but he started doing the cooking and the any good? grocery shop. He was, yes, it was good. It was actually so really good. continued? Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> well done, Shervin. Yep, well done, Shervin. And the kids are super, super supportive. Yeah. You know, we just had the book event. And my youngest, who is in college, came to the book event with his moral injury fleece on. Yeah, that was nice. Representing. One of the things that I didn't know when we started this project was who's involved. Like, I kind of got that you could self-publish something if you were, like, really wanted to. Um, and then it's sort of you and a, a company. But working with a publisher and working with an editor and working with publicists was a whole new industry that I had no idea about. Do you want to just run through a little bit about who's actually involved from soup to nuts when it comes to getting a book onto a shelf in a bookstore? Oh, my goodness. So there was a publisher, Chip Fleischer, who saw the idea in the book, and he recognized what we needed to be successful, and he provided that. So Steerforth Press is probably, <laughs> we never, we could not have done it without them. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca Radding was the developmental editor who really was remarkable mm -hmm. and patient and direct. And she was the developmental editor that pulled the story out of me. And kind of is the voice of reason when you get in the weeds and you're speaking about something that's not going to be understandable to anybody but you, correct? Oh, yes. When Many you get times. in the weeds <laughs> or when you get way too big or when the story isn't following or, you know, any, any number of like, yes, yeah. yes. She was the voice of reason overall. And then we have a publicist, Anthony Lasasso, who has spent the last six months trying to get this book on, on various radars like bookstores and radio programs and all over the place. And ultimately the Wall Street Journal. He got it to the Wall Street Journal. Yes. You know, the other thing that he was talking about that I thought was really interesting is how many copies of these books get sent out to various people to get various, you know, influential people to read, to write comments, and to get excited about this kind of stuff. And there's a lot involved in getting a book into hands and getting a buzz around it. Yeah. And then we have folks who are managing the sort of libraries and schools and bulk orders and the pre-publication folks. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a whole machine that happens in the background mm -hmm. that is well-oiled, that is full of experts that I know nothing about. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know anything about what they do. I mean, I know what they do. They've told me what they do, but, you know, it is so far outside my wheelhouse. 
And then, of course, there's the final people in the chain, which are, which are all you guys who have actually bought this book. And I think it's been both really exciting and fascinating for Wendy and I to watch numbers tick up on Amazon and the book go up and down in, in new releases and bestsellers and things like that. It is only through people who listen to this podcast and friends of ours and people for whom these ideas resonate that um, that this book is out there. So, you know, one of the people at the book release event at the Harvard Bookstore asked a very specific question about their own healthcare system that they are a patient in. And it was so fascinating for me to hear somebody outside of a doctor or nurse or some form of healthcare professional to be asking about this stuff. And as I said to her, this book was really written for you so that you could get a glimpse into what's going on with so many of the people that are trying to give you the best possible care possible. And hopefully you see some of the challenges they're going through and how much they have to push through to provide you with the kind of quality care that you're getting. Yeah, because they're going to protect you. I mean, I think that's really come through with some of the other guests on the podcast, like Elena Perea, who was very clear in saying, I don't want my patients to know about this. They have enough to deal with. Yeah, so I also think that the other really profound thing about writing this book was the trust that people put in me with these stories. Because I spent hours talking to many of these characters and not just talking to them about what happened in medicine, but also who are you? Mm -hmm. Who are you as a person? What drove you to this place or to your specialty? What drove you into medicine in the first place? And what else did you do with your life around that? Mm -hmm. And it was such a privilege to be able to, to learn that about so many of the characters and really appreciate the variety of people who go into medicine, but also the commonalities between them. Mm-hmm. That they all, they all said, I wanted to do, I wanted to do good in the world mm-hmm. in some sense or another. As you and I have discussed, that is almost the prerequisite for feeling moral injury is I went into this for the right reason to do the right thing. And that's so challenging. And so I think it's no surprise that that is such a commonality among people that are struggling in this area. Yeah. I also will say that I'm so grateful for how many people this book brought into my orbit. People were so generous with their time, like unbelievably generous. I would ask them for an hour and they would say, absolutely. Yeah. And after the launch, how many people have contacted us and said things like, hey, I can see myself in two, three, four of the people that you've written about. Right. What you're talking about makes sense to me. This story is exactly what I went through or this is this problem that I'm having and I'm so fascinated to see this is how somebody else handled it. You know, keep those emails coming. If you if you have something to talk about, we just love to hear it. And, and we enjoy hearing what people are doing and especially some of the things that people are succeeding in. Yeah. It almost feels like the first stat article all over again because mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of the same calls with people saying, oh my gosh, 
This is language that I've been looking for for years. I had one physician at one of the book events who came in and as soon as she saw me, she burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm only on chapter two and I already feel more seen than I have in years. Well, that's a great place for us to wrap up for today. Um, as always, thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. As you all know, we are a grassroots organization and your contributions will help these episodes to continue coming. If any of the work we do is helpful to you, please give back if you can by making a donation at our website, fixmoralinjury.org. While you're there, go to the podcast page for all the resources we mentioned in today's episode and browse to the pages and pages of other resources we've cataloged. The book list alone could keep you busy for months. And while you're there, if you want to order a copy of this book and read it in more detail, it is right on our webpage and you can uh, catch it from there and order it directly online. You can also help by spreading the word and encouraging conversations, share this episode with friends and colleagues or use social media links. We would love to see and hear your thoughts. Plus, if you subscribe, rate and review the show, that makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Thank you for listening. And stay well. Stay well.